Well, happy Mother's Day. We're in a teaching series we call Shelter, and it's all about sheltering in God while we shelter in place. You know, as I've been walking around Tracy during these past weeks trying to get some fresh air and exercise, I've, I've seen a lot of chalk messages on sidewalks, mostly written by kids. Have you seen those? I think lots of us want to encourage each other during this time. Evidently, that's going on all across our country. Messages like stay safe or wash your hands or you matter or this too shall pass. In one Bay Area city, someone saw a chalk message that tells a story that's going on in homes all across our nation. And this one said, Mad Mama. And it had a picture of mom, and she was really upset. When I heard that, I thought, well, we all get that. In fact, it's also Mad Dad in many homes. There's a lot of stress in our homes right now. We're together all the time. We can't get away. We're trying to work from home. We're tripping over each other, interrupting each other. And and many of us are under financial stress due to reduced compensation or lost jobs. And even in homes with reasonably healthy marriages and parent-child relationships, it's stressful. But in homes where the marriage is already unhealthy, well, things are not so good, and we're all feeling it. Time magazine recently uh, asked this question, can your relationship survive the togetherness of a pandemic? Uh, Bloomberg Businessweek had an article that detailed China's current spike in divorces, and it predicted the same thing is heading our way once lockdown is lifted. I came across one online article that said seven in 10 of lockdown Americans say they'll reach breaking point by mid-June. And for some of us, it may be sooner than that. So how should we respond? Uh, On this Mother's Day, I want to take us to God's Word, and I want us to talk about how we can find shelter at home with our families, how, how we can deal with the stress we're all facing. So what are some shelter rules that can help us navigate conflict in lockdown? How, how can we stay safe and healthy as families during this time? I heard someone say a couple of things I think we should all acknowledge during this time. The first is that everyone doesn't have the same level of stress. And everyone doesn't respond to that stress in the same way. I mean, how many times have you heard someone say recently, well, we're all in the same boat? Well, that's not true. We're not all in the same boat. We're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat because some people, well, they're navigating this storm in a yacht. They have cash reserves, a secure job where they can work from home, maybe a strong retirement portfolio, and they're doing pretty well overall. Other people are in a rowboat. They've lost their jobs. They have no savings. They're living month to month to month. And, and then there's some others. It's like, well, they just have, you know, floaties on their arms that were designed for kids. I mean, how do you shelter at home if you're homeless? What if your staying home means you're locked down with addiction and abuse? So we're all in the same storm, but we're in different boats. And that means we should have empathy for others because we may not know what they're going through. Second, We all came into this crisis with different levels of emotional and physical and spiritual reserves. And if you had deep reserves before the coronavirus hit, you're probably doing okay. But if your tank was half empty, you may be running on fumes now. And the truth is some of you entered this crisis running on fumes, and now there's nothing in your emotional or spiritual tank. And you may be the most vulnerable to distress. And if that's you, I want you to know I care. And all your pastors care, and your church family cares, and we want to help you through this difficult time. So please let us, let us know how we can serve you. Now, for all of us, whoever we are, 
the reality is this crisis is draining our reserves every day because every day this continues. Your emotional, physical, spiritual reserves are being drained day after day, like little by little. It's, it's almost like letting air out of a tire. This ongoing stress depletes reserves. Good news is we serve a God who loves us, who never leaves us, who's always renewing our strength. And we know he loves us because he's given us his son, Jesus, to die for our sins. He's, he's given us his spirit to live within us forever. You see, our God, our good, gracious God, he gives us wisdom to live, even in times like these. So this morning, we're going to look at some principles that can help us in our homes, help us with our families as we shelter in place. I'm going to call them some shelter rules, and there's 10 of them, and maybe, maybe you want to think of them as the COVID commandments. Here's the first one. You might write this down uh, if you've downloaded the outline that we have available for you on our website. The first one is show grace. Show grace. Let's just begin with the reality that this is a hard, difficult time, that we're all stressed, that this is not a normal way to live. Let's show grace. So if someone in your home doesn't do what you think they should or say what you wish they would, just show the grace. As I was reading the Bible this week, my mind was drawn to Colossians 3, which includes some rich, rich truths for relationship. Listen to Colossians 3, uh, verse 12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know, if you read the surrounding verses, you'll see that Paul is writing to believers in general here. But don't these words apply especially to our families in a time like this? I mean, what he's talking about here is showing each other grace. And I have to ask you, is your home a place of grace? Paul tells us three things about ourselves that should encourage us, especially in a time like this. I mean, he he tells us if you know Jesus, first, you are God's chosen people. Second, you are holy. Third, you are deeply loved. See, God chose you to be his son or daughter by his grace. And he didn't have to do that. He set you apart. That's what holy means. And you are dearly loved. So I'm going to ask, is this the perspective with which you live your life? Do you think that about yourself? God chose me. God set me apart. I am dearly loved. In other words, God showed you grace. And now he tells us that we should show each other grace, especially the people we love most. That means even your spouse who's making you so mad right now, even your spouse you're having conflict with, just remind yourself that if they know Jesus, They too are God's child. They also are holy. They also are dearly loved. So what does showing grace look like? Well, Paul here describes some of the characteristics of this. He says we are to to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And I don't think these words need a lot of explanation. Probably the best thing each of us can do with this is just ask ourselves, how compassionate am I with my family? Are my words kind? Do I humbly put others' needs before my own? Am I gentle? Am I patient? Now, don't miss this. Uh, Paul is commanding us to put these character qualities on. This requires intentionality. He's saying you must choose to clothe yourself. Now, why would we do this? Why would we show grace? Well, ultimately, it's because God has shown us grace. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. 
In other words, this means treat other people the way God treats you. How does God treat you? With grace. God always gives us what we need, not what we deserve. That's grace. So show grace. The second shelter rule is look in the mirror. You know, if you're frustrated with someone or angry with them, before you do or say anything, look in the mirror. Examine yourself. Because the Bible is real clear about why we have conflict. The reason is what we see when we look in the mirror. Look at James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? In other words, the source of conflict is us. It's part of our, our fallen nature. And we all have desires, and they're in conflict with the desires of our spouses. Like, I want what I want, and you want what you want. And right now, have you especially noticed that the little things can become big things? I mean, we're so close to each other, and some of our homes there's really nowhere to go. Uh, that, that Time article is said, have you recently noticed how loud your partner chews? That her, her placement of items in the fridge is illogical. That his consumption of toilet paper or soap or the good snacks is remarkably high. That parenting is not one of his or her strengths. If so, they said, you might be married during a pandemic. So right now, why don't you do this? Just stop and write down the three most annoying things about your spouse. Go. No, don't do that. Stop. Stop. No, wait. Don't do that. That's a bad, bad idea. Here's a, here's a better idea. Do this. Ask God where he wants to change you. See, when you're frustrated or annoyed or angry, do you do that? Do you, do you go there first, look in the mirror? I have a prayer you can pray. Actually, it's right from the Bible. It's a really good prayer. It's Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, and this is what it says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So I wonder how many conflicts would end quickly or go very different ways if each of you prayed this prayer each time you fought. That leads us right to the third shelter rule, which is talk to God about the conflict. In other words, pray. We all need to learn to ventilate vertically. Now, most of us are pretty good at ventilating horizontally, you know, at the people around us. But first, ventilate vertically. David was really good at this. If you read the Psalms, you'll see he did a whole lot of this. He, he told God when he was angry. He told God when he was depressed and lonely. He told God about the conflicts in his life, all about his enemies. And then he would talk to other people about that. And how many of our problems would get solved so much more quickly if we did that? You ever been in the middle of an argument and you thought, this is going nowhere. I mean, how are we going to solve this? I don't see any way through this. I don't know what to do. James 1 verse 5 tells us how God can make a difference in the way we deal with our problems. In other words, it tells us when I have a problem, I, I can ask God to help resolve it. Here, here's what it says. If you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him and he will gladly tell you. He will not resent your asking. See, as you talk to God about the problem you're facing, you may discover that the problem is a need that God needs to be meeting anyway. Do you know what one of the main reasons is that we have conflict with our spouses? You, you can write this down, unreasonable expectations. 
Now, especially during this season, refer back to rule one, show grace. But just ask yourself, am I expecting them to give me something they just can't give? Sometimes we expect our spouses to meet needs in our lives that only God can meet. Uh, Ruth Graham wrote these very perceptive words. I pity the married couple who expects too much from one another. It's foolish to expect from one another that which Jesus Christ alone can be, always ready to forgive, totally understanding, unendingly patient, invariably tender and loving, unfailing in every area, anticipating every need, making more than adequate provision. Such expectations put a marriage under an impossible strain, especially during a pandemic. You see, talking to God about your conflict can help you see that. You know, there are just some myths about marriage that many of us live with. One of those myths is, if I could just get married, then all of my needs would be met. But that's a myth. There's no person who can meet all your needs. How do you know it's a myth? Well, soon after you get married, a second myth surfaces. If I had just married the right person, all of my needs would have been met. Here's what you need to know. Prayer reminds us that only God can meet our needs. I think there's kind of a warning light inside of all this in these times where where we're asking others to meet needs only God can meet, and that warning light is anger. When you find yourself constantly angry with your spouse, ask yourself, am I asking them to do things only God can do, to meet needs in my life only God can meet? Am I asking a person to be God to me? Now, along with talking to God, We need to work on how we talk to each other. And that's shelter rule number four. This will help you in the situation that all of us have been in, you know, where you're trying to talk to each other about a conflict, and and then suddenly, before you know it, it just escalates out of control, and you find yourself thinking, what happened? I mean, we just wanted to talk for a few minutes about this, and all of a sudden, I mean, we started one place, we ended another place. I don't know what happened. Well, in that, what probably didn't happen is this you probably didn't follow shelter rule number four, which is control your mouth. A few years ago, U.S. News and World Report uh, reported on a study of marriage that found that newlyweds who stayed married would only make five critical comments out of 100 about each other. They found that uh, among those later divorced, it was 10 of every 100 remarks was a put-down. And by the time 10 years of marriage had rolled by, the pairs headed for divorce were insulting each other five times more often than other couples. You see, for a marriage to survive, the study concluded couples had to learn to keep the negativity under control, to use words that would keep the conflict manageable because otherwise hostility escalates and it gets eventually to the point that efforts to communicate are futile. God's Word has a lot to tell us about that. Here's one example from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now think about these words. How many times in conflict do you speak unwholesome words? 
the Greek word that is used here refers to the rottenness of death. The King James Version calls it the corrupt communication. I remember this week one time a few years ago when one of my kids said, Dad, there's a dead bird in the side yard. And, of course, I'm the, the designated dead wildlife disposal person at our house. I found the bird next to the AC unit, and I, I picked it up with a plastic bag around my hand. I put it in the garbage, and it had been there for a while, I guess, because you know, part of it stuck to the concrete. <laughs> smelled bad, too. It was pretty gross. And, you know, we don't want to touch stuff like that, even when there's a plastic bag over our hands. But how often do we, in essence, let the same kind of rotten, unwholesome, corrupt words roll over and across our tongues? It reminds me of a t-shirt that says, you know, if a man speaks in the forest and his wife doesn't, isn't there to hear him, is he still wrong? <laughs> Some of us think stuff like that's funny. Some of us savor those unwholesome words. We hold on to them. We enjoy them. We like to, to use them as weapons. And, and we end up showering our families with unwholesome talk. How many of you would find your home changing if you began to speak only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You know, really, we have two options in communication. We can either dump dead, rotten, putrid words into the lives of our spouses, or we can build them up with our words. We can do what Paul says and speak according to their needs, saying the exact words they need to hear. We can benefit those who listen with our words. In some translations, it says that it may give grace to those who listen. In other words, my voice box can be a vehicle for the blessing and the grace of God to my wife, Dana, or it cannot. And some of us, well, we are grieving the Holy Spirit with our words. Some of us, as Paul says here, we need to get rid of bitterness, anger, every form of malice. And I just have to ask you, are you controlling your mouth in such a way that fits this phrase, in Jesus' name. Are you speaking in Jesus' name? Came across a great short book recently. It was called uh, Marriage Conflict, Talking as Teammates. It's a 31-day devotional book. It's by a man named Steve Hopp, and it's really great. It's designed for couples to go through together one uh, short chapter at a time, once a day. And I, I want to use one of his ideas. He says... We need to learn to, and this is shelter rule number five, we need to learn to play catch. Now, it's possible I may have been drawn to this one because I'm really missing baseball. But this concept is really about how we talk to each other, and he illustrates it with an argument that he and his wife, Abby, had one day, and he said it went like this. Steve, why didn't you unload the dishwasher yesterday like you said you would? Abby, why didn't you call the tax guy like you said you would? Why are you changing the subject? I'm not. I'm just saying it isn't fair that you can forget something, but I can't. Can you please just unload the dishwasher? Can you please just show me a little grace? Why are you being so defensive? I'm not. You are. I hear it in your tone. No, I'm not. Forget it. I'll unload the dishwasher myself. Now, he said that conversation took 16 seconds. He said they weren't trying to encourage each other or show love for each other. He said they were playing conversational ping pong. And he says that's what a lot of us do. And I think a lot of us know exactly what this is about when you're playing conversational ping pong. Proverbs 29.20 says, Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. 
See, playing catch is a different way to talk. You, you catch the conversation ball by listening to your spouse's word, and you, you hold the ball for a little while, thinking about what your spouse said, and then, then you throw it back gently. You, you speak in a loving manner. You, you listen, you think, you speak in that order. And I just have to ask, how many conflicts, how many conflicts would be diffused if we listened and we thought before we responded? I mean, even if your spouse attacks you, you don't have to defend. Jesus didn't respond when he was attacked. We don't have to respond either. Now, I'll be honest with you. If you haven't done this, playing catch will be hard, especially at first, especially if you're good at ping pong. But I'm telling you, if you practice, it will soon become instinct. And I also think you'll like it. Real quickly, let me give you two more ideas from uh, this uh, brief book. The first one is, which is number six of our shelter rules, take off your tool belt. Now, this may sound at first like counsel for husbands, and in my experience, wives often need to hear this as well. And what this rule means is this, stop trying to fix your spouse. You know, during lockdown, your wife's or your husband's sins and shortcomings are probably more obvious than ever, and you may be tempted more than ever to enter fix-it mode. And you will do this at best in an effort to conform your spouse into God's image, or at worst, into your image, to make him like you. But, but either way, it, it's not your job. Now listen to these verses from Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In other words, only God can truly fix us. Only God can remove our dead hearts of stone, replace them with living hearts of flesh, mold us into people more and more like Jesus Christ and how we speak and think and act. You don't need to fix your spouse. You need to love your spouse. And so tomorrow when you're in a conflict and you see sin in your spouse, then give God control instead of you trying to fix it. Let God do the fixing because he's way better at it than you. Seventh shelter rule, also from this book, is avoid exaggeration. You know, I cannot tell you how many times that I have sat in my office with a couple in conflict and heard words like these. You're always angry. You never help around the house. You're always criticizing me. I have to do everything for the family. Steve Hopps says that exaggeration has no place in a godly marriage conflict for at least two reasons. First, it's a form of lying, which breaks the, tenth, uh, the ninth commandment. Exodus 20, verse 16 says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Exaggeration takes something that's true, and it stretches it, and it turns it into something untrue. Second, exaggeration easily comes across as character assassination. Whether you intend it or not, it sounds like an assault on who your spouse is, not on what they did. And barring exceptional circumstances, here's what I'm telling you. You need to eliminate these following words from your vocabulary whenever critiquing your spouse. Here they are. Maybe write them down. Always, never, all, none, everything, nothing, everybody, nobody, constantly, completely. I mean, there's more, but you get the picture. Don't say those words. They never are helpful. Well, here's shelter rule number eight. 
forgive and move on. Look at what the Bible says. This is Ephesians 4.32 again. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. See, our basic stance toward one another is kind and compassionate, forgiving each other. And how do we do that? Well, we do it just like God forgave us in Christ. Listen to this next passage, just from a few verses earlier in Ephesians 4. It says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. See, some of you, you are in terrible conflict because you're not obeying this verse. You've allowed the sun to go down on your anger many times. In other words, you don't deal with conflict quickly. You allow conflict to simmer, and you don't resolve it. You have not forgiven and moved on. The reality is some of you, you're bitter about something your spouse did years ago, and you keep fighting over things in the present that are really about things in the past. And I'm telling you today, it's time to move on. It's time to forgive. You might be saying, but they hurt me. I read... Uh, about a psychiatric hospital with this sign at the entrance. It said, do you want to be right or do you want to be well? Some of us would rather prove we're right and go crazy with bitterness rather than simply forgive and move on. I'm telling you right now, what you need to do is what Paul says in Colossians 3, verses 13 and 14. He says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. You might underline that word, whatever. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I just want to ask you, what do you need to forgive your spouse for today? I want to ask you, will you obey the command of Christ? Forgive, move on. Here's shelter rule number nine. When necessary, seek counsel. Now, reality is some of you are stuck. You you feel like you don't know what to do. And if that's true, seek counsel. Ask for advice. Proverbs 13.10 says, Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. I mean, think about it. In every other area of our lives, when we face big problems, we're not afraid to get professional help. If we're sick, we go to the doctor. If we have financial problems we can't figure out, we find a CPA. If we have legal problems, we hire a lawyer. See, if you have relationship problems in your marriage, you can't get past. There's nothing wrong with finding a professional Christian marriage counselor Someone who has the tools to help you see how to resolve the conflict in your marriage. I mean, these are people who have worked with hundreds of couples. They know what you're facing. So be humble. Take advice. Become wise. You know, a question we we all have to face at times in our lives is this. Would I rather have a satisfying marriage or just pretend that I do? And I want to tell you today, you don't have to pretend. There are people who can help. You know, some of you are afraid of what other people will think. And I want to tell you, that's pride. I mean, who cares what other people think? Your marriage, your family may be at stake. And the truth is, most people who find out, they'll look at you and say, you know, there's a person of courage and strength, someone who had the humility and the the character to take counsel from someone else. I wish I were more like them. 
You know, I know sometimes the conflict in relationships can become so painful, we just start looking for a way out. But I also want to tell you it's more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. So don't walk out. Reach out for help. Take advice. Don't give up. Look up to God for his help. Find his strength. Finally, number 10, eat clean and hydrate frequently. You know, during this time of ongoing stress, we all know it's even more imperative than ever to take care of our bodies. A lot of us probably now are focusing on healthy eating as we want to build up our immune system. That's a good thing. But while you're doing that, don't forget to take care of your soul. Eat clean and hydrate spiritually. You say, what are you talking about? Well, I'm just asking the question, are you feeding your soul during this time? Just like your body needs clean food and plenty of water to stay healthy, so does your soul. And if you're not feeding your soul, you'll be drained emotionally, spiritually. You'll have more conflict. You won't have the wisdom to deal with the conflict that's already there. How do you refuel your soul? You, You do that by getting into God's word every day. Do you remember when Jesus said, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the Bible is soul food. You know, the more you get into this book, the more you will refuel your soul, the more you will have the strength you need to make it through this time, the more you'll have the wisdom that you need to solve the problems that you're facing. You know, Jesus, he says also that he is the the living water. In, In John 7, 37, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And, and if you keep reading, you'll see that Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit who he gives. And it works like this. We feed on God's word, which the Spirit inspires, and our thirst is quenched. We're spiritually empowered. And so we need to eat clean. We need to hydrate frequently because that's the only way we have the power to face and walk through life, especially in conflict. Here, here's another passage. James 1.21 says, Humbly accept the word God has planted in your heart, for it has the power to save your souls. God's word is able to save our souls. God's word can also feed our souls. It can refuel our souls. You know, recent studies have shown that the way you begin and end your day, it determines so much about the day. And they say it's your first five minutes in particular And it's like this. You'll either choose wisely or not. So think about what you'll do. Can I tell you something? I want to encourage you, do not begin your day by picking up your phone. Do not begin your day on social media or by watching the news, you know, turning on TV or or radio or reading something on the internet because none of these things will feed your soul. If you're not already you should start this habit during shelter in place because it will help recharge you every day and put it like this, God's word, first word, God's word, last word. You say, what does that mean? Well, it means you begin your day with God's word. You get a plan. You have your Bible ready to read and that's the first thing you do. It means you end your day with God's word. Listen to these scriptures. Psalm 92.2 says, every morning tell him, Thank you for your goodness, and every evening rejoice in all his faithfulness. You see, morning and evening. 
And now look at Psalm 119, 147. I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and put my hope in your word. So get into God's word. Do it first thing. Feed on God's word. Eat clean. Let the water of his word hydrate your, your soul. You know, part of, of good eating and drinking is you stop taking in the unhealthy stuff. You, you stop feeding on some things. And that's very important spiritually. When it comes to your soul, for your own mental and, and emotional and spiritual health, you need to monitor your media intake. Think about this. I have some questions for you. If I ask, how many of you believe everything you see on the internet? I mean, none of you would say that, right? If I ask you, how many of you believe everything you watch on TV? Well, none of you would say that. If I ask you, how many of you believe everything you read in the Bible? Well, if you were here, you would all raise your hands. But here's my question. Why do we spend more time reading and watching and taking in stuff we don't believe than what we do? Proverbs 15, 14 says, A wise person is hungry for knowledge, while the fool feeds on trash. You ever feed on trash? Well, honestly, we all do sometimes, and there's a lot of trash out there, right, on social media, on the Internet. I have a really good verse of social media. It's Psalm 119, verse 37, and it's actually a prayer, and it would be good for all of us to be praying it. Listen to it. Keep me from paying attention to what is worthless. See, my question here is, is that next TikTok video really worth your time? Why not do something that has real value? See, read a book, play a game, do a puzzle, start a hobby, spend time talking to your wife or your husband, spend time with your kids. I mean, anything besides watching and absorbing the news. You know, this time of, of a coronavirus crisis really is a great time to begin some new habits. It's also a great time for some of us to restore some old habits that were good and, and we stopped doing them at some point. There is so much more that God's word tells us about these problems, about dealing with the inevitable conflicts we face in life. But for today, we're going to stop here. And I hope that you will spend time in these days that are ahead looking at these scriptures again and absorbing them into your heart and, and applying them into the situation in which you find yourselves. You know, I, I hope that you have a wonderful Mother's Day. I'm looking forward to seeing you, some of you who choose to, to come to the church campus and meet your pastors as we got some special things to share with you this afternoon. I want you to know that we're praying for you and your family. And I want you to know I can't wait to see you again. And I really believe that day is getting closer. So let's be ready when we come back again together to worship our God like never before and to love our neighbors more than ever before. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray together? God, on this special day where we honor our moms, we, we give you thanks for being our father. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for, for saving us. Thank you for being so patient and kind with us. Father, I pray especially for any families that are going through especially difficult times right now. Lord, you know the homes where there is conflict. And so, Lord, give your peace. Give your peace as, as your people listen to your word and they seek to, to live your wisdom out. And Father, where there are deep issues of, of conflict and 
hurt and pain, maybe, maybe that this pandemic has surfaced and just made worse, I pray that you would bring healing. And Father, where there are homes struggling just because of the pressures of this season, maybe through financial distress, would you provide, would you supply all their needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus? Would you give what is needed? Lord, we pray for our neighbors. We, we pray for health and safety. Lord, we pray for recovery from this time. And most of all, Father, we pray that all people everywhere would come to know and love your son, Jesus. We pray that his name would be lifted high. And Father, we, we pray all these things in his name, Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Well, I pray that you have a wonderful day. I pray that you have a week filled with God's goodness, even in these difficult days. And I look forward to seeing you online again next week. I want to leave you with this blessing. It's one of my favorite verses, Romans 15, 13. And here's what it says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. It is for you today. And may God bless you. We'll see you soon.